Between the Lies Podcast Episode 9. My Welcome back to the Between the Lies podcast, where we deep dive into whatever wicked or warped subject we might find our way into at that given time. As always, I am your host, and I'm proud to be bringing you this podcast today. First and foremost, we are going to dig into one of the original conspiracy theories that got me into looking into things so deeply, as well as a handful of other conspiracies that I believe do have some real truth behind them. So today we're going to be talking about 9-11 and the events that followed. Certainly it is a tragedy what occurred that day and no theory or statement will ever take away from that. So these are all theories and regardless of how 9-11 occurred or the circumstances and coincidences that surround it, it will never take away from all of the innocent lives lost that day. I personally will never forget the morning of 9-11. I was actually in kindergarten or first grade, one or the other at the time. And I just remember the look on my teacher's face when they told us the news. And my class was promptly sent home. And although I didn't understand the true magnitude of this situation at the time, I saw that same look of fear in my parents' eyes that day. Uncertainty cloaked an entire nation in one tragedy-filled morning for sure. Knowing how much of a deep impact this event had on the families of the people lost inside the World Trade Center as well as the entire nation in general, it makes it even more important to address some of the red flags, red herrings, and coincidences that are undoubtedly present in what will become America's darkest day. As always, I am presenting evidence I have gathered along the way, asking questions as well as injecting my personal opinion throughout. Now, I do think it is important to establish the official timeline and the mainstream media narrative of 9-11 before we go ahead and ask questions and present theories. So the official narrative of 9-11 is as follows. Just keep in mind this is going to be pretty extensive and detailed, but of course it is ever important to understand the official narrative of events. On September 11th, 2001 at 545 is where we'll start. Two of the intended hijackers would pass through security at the Portland International Jetport in Maine. They board a commuter flight to Boston Logan International Airport, and then they board American Airlines Flight 11. So around 7.59 a.m., Flight 11 takes off from Boston. That's headed for Los Angeles, California. There are 76 passengers, 11 crew members, and five hijackers on board, reportedly. Now at 8.15, United Airlines Flight 175 would take off from Boston, also headed for Los Angeles. There were 51 passengers, 9 crew members, and 5 reported hijackers on board. 8.19 a.m., a flight attendant on Flight 11, Betty Ann Ong, alerts ground personnel that a hijacking is underway and that the cockpit is unreachable. At 8.20 a.m., American Airlines Flight 77 takes off for Duelist, that's outside of Washington, D.C., headed for Los Angeles. There are 53 passengers, 6 crew members, and 5 reported hijackers on board. At 8.24 a.m., a hijacker on Flight 11 unintentionally alerts air controllers in Boston to the attack. He meant to press a button that allowed him to talk to the passengers on his flight but he actually conveyed this to authorities what was happening. Now at 8.37 a.m., after hearing the broadcast from that hijacker off of Flight 11, 
Boston Air Traffic Control alerts the U.S. Air Force's Northeast Defense Sector, who then mobilized the Air National Guard to follow the plane. At 8.42 a.m., United Flight 93 takes off from Newark, New Jersey. It was headed for San Francisco. There are 33 passengers, 7 crew members, and 4 reported hijackers on board. Fast forward to 8.46 a.m., Flight 11 would crash into the World Trade Center's North Tower. All passengers aboard were instantly killed, and employees of the World Trade Center were trapped, especially above the 91st floor. At 9.03, Flight 175 crashed into World Trade Center's Southern Tower. Again, all passengers aboard were killed instantly, and an unknown member of people inside the actual tower that were killed. At 9.05, President George W. Bush, in an elementary school classroom in Florida, he was reading to children at the time, how coincidental and noble of him, he is informed about the hit on the second tower. It doesn't say anything here about the hit on the first tower, but nonetheless, his chief of staff, Andrew Card, would whisper the chilling news into the president's ear. Bush would later write about this response, and this is verbatim, I made the decision not to jump up immediately and leave the classroom. I didn't want to rattle the kids. I just wanted to project a sense of calm. I have been in enough crises to know that the first thing the leader has to do is project calm. Fast forward to 9.28 a.m., hijackers would attack on Flight 93, which we mentioned earlier, that flight. And 9.37 a.m., Flight 77 crashes into the Pentagon. All passengers aboard are instantly killed, and so were 125 civilian and military personnel reportedly in the building. At 9.45, the United States airspace is shut down completely under Operation Yellow Ribbon. All civilian aircrafts are also ordered to land at their nearest airport as well. At 9.55 a.m., Air Force One, with President George W. Bush aboard, takes off from Florida. 9.57 a.m., passengers aboard Flight 93 begin to run up toward the cockpit. Now, the pilot, who knew what was going on, I guess, at the time, or realized, begins to roll the plane back and forth in an attempt to destabilize the revolt. Now at 9.59 a.m., the South Tower of the World Trade Center completely collapses. At 10.02 a.m., Flight 93 plows into an empty field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Although its ultimate target would be unknown, and we'll get to that in a little bit, it was likely headed for either the White House or the U.S. Capitol. At 10.18, President Bush authorizes any non-grounded planes to be shot down. At that time, all four hijacked planes had already crashed, but the president's team was operating under the impression that Flight 93 was still in the air. 10.28 a.m., the North Tower of the World Trade Center collapses, so that's the first two that go down. At 10.53 a.m., Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld orders the U.S. military to move on to a higher state of alert, going to DEFCON 3, which obviously means like balls to the wall, we're going to protect our country no matter what. At 11.45, Air Force One lands at Barksdale Air Force Base near Louisiana. Obviously, that has the President George W. Bush at the time inside that vessel as well. At 12.15 p.m., airspace in the United States is completely free of all commercial and private flights, and that's completely confirmed at 12.15. At 1.30 p.m., Air Force One leaves Barksdale. At 2.30 p.m., Rudy Giuliani, the then mayor of New York City, visits the fallen twin towers of the World Trade Center at what becomes known as Ground Zero. 
And I know this is a little long, but bear with me. We're almost done with the timeline, and then we'll get into the fun stuff. So 3 p.m., Air Force One lands at an Air Force base in Nebraska, and President Bush is immediately taken to a secure bunker that is capable of withstanding a giant nuclear attack. At 4.30 p.m., Air Force One leaves and heads back towards Andrews Air Force Base near Washington, D.C., at 5.30 p.m., Building 7 of the World Trade Center would collapse. And this building, here's the kicker, was never even hit by a plane, but we'll get into that in a little bit. And at 8.30 p.m., President Bush would address the nation and try to band us together against this terroristic threat, or at least what was perceived to be the threat of Al-Qaeda at that time. Now, before we even go deeper into the theories, I just want to pick apart some of the logic in the official timeline before we even go deeper into all that. First and foremost, let's talk about Building 7. It is not even disputed that Building 7 fell at freefall speed, pancaked on top of itself, and not even by the damage of a plane like the first two towers apparently did. Somehow, someway, the official narrative and explanation is that Building 7, which again did not get hit by a plane, caught on fire somehow that day, which I'll point out it's been suggested it caught on fire due to the carnage that had already been inflicted on the first two towers, which is a little far-fetched, but nonetheless. So the building apparently caught fire and to the point in which it collapsed pancake style, free fell to the ground, free fall speed. For anyone in construction, specifically the demolition industry, I invite you to watch the Twin Towers falling as well as Building 7. I have close friends who conduct controlled demolitions as well who've told me that for the buildings to fall at free fall speed, a building would need structural damage, i.e., or for example, explosives throughout. Quite simply, the Twin Towers in Building 7 were made to withstand attacks from planes and bombs, and this is known. So how was it on this particular day that gravity was completely defied? If you watch a controlled demolition side by side with the Twin Towers in Building 7 falling, you will without a doubt see the striking similarities. And that's just the beginning. It just doesn't make logical sense that they would crumble and fall to the ground so easily, let alone the fact that Building 7 was never even hit by a plane. I mean, how crazy is that really? How am I supposed to believe that an office fire at the top of Building 7 caused it to crumble in such a manner? Luckily, due to the earlier happenings, Building 7 had been completely evacuated, but nonetheless, it's something we simply can't ignore. It is the original red flag and red herring in the 9-11 mythos, if you will. Even more coincidences come in the form of the numerology surrounding the event. Now, maybe these could just be coincidence, but still, I found them at least interesting enough to note on the podcast. So, like I mentioned earlier, Flight 11 was the first flight that was flown into the World Trade Center that fateful morning. If you look at the World Trade Center from afar, it clearly resembles the number 11 as well. Not to mention that both of the buildings also had 110 stories, so a lot of 11s here. And this is where it gets even weirder. New York was the 11th state in the United States, and the name of the city itself, New York City, spell it out, it has 11 letters. Now, people listening may be skeptical and feel that these numbers don't mean anything, but it has long been theorized that the powers that be, aka the people that are pulling the strings behind some of these worldly events, apparently use numerology as some form of ritual or prediction of the things to come. 
So I'm not saying for 100% fact that all these numbers lining up is definitive proof that 9-11 was a false flag, but it certainly is a huge coincidence. And you know what we always say about coincidences when it comes to these theories and events. Speaking more on coincidences, did you know that NORAD, aka our country's top line of air defense against terroristic attacks and hijackings, just happened to be running a drill at the same exact time, same morning, that these planes were taken over supposedly by this group of foreign terrorists? That means that instead of responding to the hijackings properly and on time, NORAD officials received the calls but decided to disregard them believing them to be fake calls as part of this so-called drill. So I ask you, what are the mathematical chances that NORAD would be running a drill describing the same exact situation that was occurring on the morning of September 11th, 2001? Many people, including myself, feel as though that these coincidences are just way too good to be true. In doing the research these last few weeks and brushing up on my knowledge about this particular subject, I came across another series of coincidences that, again, seems too good to be true. There were many high-profile businessmen and women as well as notable celebrities that were supposed to be present in the World Trade Center on that tragic morning, but it just so happens that fate made it so they all didn't make it that day averting certain death in that particular situation for sure. Let's go down the list of the notable and high-profile people and celebrities that were supposed to be present at the World Trade Center on that very fateful morning, but conveniently could not be there on that day. Let's hear it. The first would be none other than the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. According to Michael Jackson's older brother, Jermaine, the King of Pop schedule on the 11th of September 2001 included an early morning meeting at the World Trade Center. But luckily, the musician overslept and missed the meeting completely, something he would credit to a late night chat with his mother and siblings. How lucky. Secondly, we have Marky Mark, otherwise known as Mark Wahlberg. On the day of the attacks, actor Mark Wahlberg was scheduled to fly on American Airlines Flight 11, which was the first plane that crashed into the World Trade Center. Fortunately for Wahlberg, he and his friends just made a last-minute decision not to fly to L.A., where the plane was originally headed, but instead to go to a Toronto Film Festival. Years later, the actor would boast that if he'd been on the plane, he would have personally stopped the hijacking. Again, so lucky he just didn't end up on that flight. I mean, what are the chances? Next, we have Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane. He had a hangover to thank for surviving America's worst terrorist attack. The actor and cartoonist was scheduled to board the same plane as Wahlberg. What a coincidence, but arrived late at the airport that day. He has stated in interviews, I was booked on that flight and was drinking the night before and so hungover that I missed the plane by about 10 minutes. It was a very close call for me, he said. So, wow, these are some pretty huge names that just so happened to somehow miss their meetings at the World Trade Center or miss their flights, which would end up being the exact same flights that were hijacked. I mean, come on, what's the chance of that? There is also a list of high-profile businessmen and women, like I mentioned earlier, who were also reportedly warned about the attacks and therefore were not present either on the flights 
or in the World Trade Center itself. So I ask you, again, as always, do your own research after you listen to the podcast, but how is it that all these people just happened, these high-profile celebrities, high-profile CEOs, business owners, just happened to not make it to the World Trade Center on that day? And it seems like extenuating circumstances, but heavily coincidental, heavily draped in coincidence. I mean, literally, what are the chances of it? I mean, even celebrities and people of high society have spoke on the possibility that the government itself, the U.S. government rather, was responsible for 9-11. Here's a brief list of the celebrities who have publicly denounced the official narrative for 9-11 and have elected, courageously I might add, to question the event itself. And I definitely commend that in terms of being a celebrity, somebody in the public eye, and not being afraid to speak about your true belief on something. That's what this podcast is all about, speaking our true belief. So this list of celebrities, etc., who've spoken up against the 9-11 official narrative includes Willie Nelson, Most Def, Rosie O'Donnell, Ronda Rousey, and Mark Ruffalo. Now, the list goes on and on, so again, do your research into it, but many people in Hollywood, entertainment, CEOs, people of high power have questioned the motive of 9-11 as well as the happenings of 9-11. Now, actor Mark Ruffalo had this to say when speaking on the 9-11 narratives, and this one really stuck with me. He states, I'm baffled by the way all three buildings came down. My first reaction was that buildings don't fall down like that. I've done quite a bit of my own research. The fact that the 9-11 investigation went from the moment the planes hit to the moment the buildings fell, and nothing before or after, I think, makes that investigation completely illegitimate. If you're going to do a crime investigation, you have to find proper motive. We just didn't follow that. It was quickly pushed away, obviously. None of us know what happened, but I'm totally and completely behind reopening the case and investigation. Where is the money? Just follow the money, guys. Now, actor Mark Ruffalo makes a very interesting and intriguing point here. The 9-11 investigation simply didn't exist. By the time the planes hit those buildings and fell at free fall speed, it was widely already known and reported that Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden were responsible for the attacks. Case closed, so they are the culprits. There was no real investigation into these events. It was an open and shut case. The moment those planes were hit, we were told that it was Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. But really, it makes you wonder, why not reopen this case? Why not look into these facts and these series of numerology coincidences as well as coincidences of celebrities not making it there on that day or the buildings falling so oddly? I mean, why is it that one narrative has been stuck to since that very day? It just makes you question everything, at least in my mind. There was simply no investigation at all. As soon as those planes hit, the fate of thousands or more soldiers was decided. We were going to invade Iraq and Al-Qaeda. It was used as a beacon for war, a start to the never-ending vicious cycle of death. And considering the red flags and coincidences, it really makes you question the entire war as well. Now, for those of us who don't know, war is extremely profitable for numerous companies and also provides additional funding for our country and the powers that be. It's a shame to say this, but war is definitely for profit, and the same with a pandemic or a so-called energy crisis. Therefore, we must always question the motives of such things as war, as unfortunate to face that reality as it may be. 
Lastly, I want to talk about George W. Bush on the morning of 9-11. Now, most people have already saw the video of him being notified about 9-11. For those of us who haven't, George W. Bush, again, was reading to school children while 9-11 occurred. Weird. Now, first and foremost, the kindergarten kids were reading words off of a blackboard around this time that he was notified. Now, these words eerily include the words kite, hit, steel, and plane. So once George W. Bush was made aware of the attacks, he actually didn't move a muscle. Instead, he continued reading to the young children. Again, we heard him earlier state that he didn't want the children to panic, but still, that sounds a little too weird to me. So you mean to tell me that the biggest threat to the country that has ever taken place just occurred and the president instead elects to stay put and was never rushed away by his team? That just seems way too weird to be true, but it absolutely is. Afterwards, George W. Bush would read a book titled The Goat to the Children. So I've gone deep-dived into Satanism and how I believe personally that it is common in Hollywood, politics, and in groups of people who are in power in general. Is it somehow possible that the words being read to the children, again, kite, steel, plane, and hit, and the book read after were ways to give us a half-truth about what really happened? No matter what you think about conspiracies in general, I can confidently say that there are more red flags in the 9-11 conspiracy than any or almost any other topic that I've ever covered. My opinion is as follows. The U.S. government conspired to plan this false flag attack, using it as a vessel to go to war with Iraq and access the oil, which is a known resource that is extremely fruitful in the areas America would go on to invade. And once you open your mind to the possibility that American higher-ups could possibly kill thousands of their own people for their own monetary gain, you really have to start to wonder, I mean, what else is possible? Now, I'm aware that I didn't cover every single aspect of 9-11, and that's more so in the interest of time for me as well as you. But as always, I encourage every single listener to do your own research and make your own opinion on this very topic. There are just so many red flags along with this horrible tragedy, it is truly one of the more obvious and eye-opening conspiracies, at least in my personal opinion. I do want to transition now and talk about some of the current day happenings in America and read between the lies of some of that. Now, there are so many things going on at once, it is hard to focus on only one, but there are a few subjects I think that are extremely important to touch on on the end of this podcast as well as in the coming weeks. First and foremost, I already extensively covered the Maui wildfires, if you want to call them wildfires at all. If you haven't heard that episode, that was one of my earlier episodes on the Between the Lies podcast. It has been widely known and reported by trusted news sources that $700 was going out to each and every resident of Maui that were affected, and these are people, again, who have lost their homes, their jobs, and their entire lives and lineage. So giving $700 to somebody who lost their entire home, all of their belongings, some of their families, it just seems like a slap in the face. Especially when you consider that billions of dollars are being sent to Ukraine over the last year and a half to two years. Quite simply, logically, why would we continue to support another country's war when we have problems here that clearly need solving? President Zelensky of Ukraine, to me, in my opinion, is nothing more than a puppet. 
It is also well known that he was not a politician before running for office, but instead he was and is an actor. So how hard could it be for an actor to act concerned about his own country when really, possibly, he just has his own aspirations and political gain in mind? You really have to sit and wonder where all of this money is going. I mean, to date, the U.S. has sent Ukraine roughly $75 billion, and that's just the money that we know about and that's reported and admitted to. Imagine that number being so much more because we know that the government doesn't always play honest ball with us. Um, Deep diving into this subject for the past few weeks, I uncovered about 40 to 45 United States biolabs that are present and fully operational as of this very moment in Ukraine. Now, of course, for the last few years, this had been heavily rumored and was denied by all parties involved until recently when the United States itself openly admitted that the biolabs exist. So these biolabs deal with viruses, germs, and bacteria, most or all of which is said to be much more dangerous than COVID-19, which, of course, a whole world shut down over. So let me ask you this. Now that we know these biolabs exist and we know that the viruses that are in these labs are far more dangerous than COVID-19, why would our country continuously support a war on that very ground? All it would take was one Russian bombing to hit one of these 40 biolabs and the entire world could be subject to more dangerous viruses and germs than even COVID-19. I mean, when actually looking at it from that perspective... Does that really make sense to anybody at all? And what about Joe Biden and his son's ties to Ukraine? Is it possible that the money being sent to Ukraine is simply money laundering at its core? How is it that only 95 million total dollars were given to Hawaii, specifically Maui residents, but that $75 billion on paper has gone to Ukraine? How is it that Ukraine is being sent billions, but a state in our own country is only being sent a mere fraction of that money? Quite frankly, it is clear that foreign interests are being taken care of first and foremost, and America, again, is being put last. And that's not an opinion, that's a fact. It's pretty clear just taking a quick glance at the amounts of money being sent out. When did taking care of the world's issues come first and our own people, our own country, our own economy come last? I mean, really, does that make any sense to anybody? I very rarely get political at all on this podcast. I'll simply just state facts. And here are some facts. The economy in the United States is tanking and every day Americans are scrounging to survive. I mean, quite simply, most of us are living paycheck to paycheck without a true savings account even to our name. All of the money and effort that has been sent and received by Ukraine, but what about the everyday challenges that we are facing in our own country? And when I'm saying this, I don't feel bad because I'm simply echoing the same sentiment as millions and millions of Americans. We are sick of the obvious corruption we are clearly facing. It's like they don't even try to hide it anymore. This ties deeper into the open borders, which facilitate human and drug trafficking as well. There's just corruption all across the board. Literally hundreds of thousands of missing children that were placed in homes in the last few years that are unaccounted for. I've exposed the director of refugees who answered under oath she is clueless as to where 200,000 plus kids went after they were placed in these so-called safe homes. Quite simply, whether we want to believe it or not, this country is being torn apart right in front of our faces. 
But instead of facing these issues and confronting them, we are distracted with talks of aliens or Republican versus Democratic debates. Just be aware that we are being led astray, and most of us, we don't even realize it, unfortunately. As I always say on this podcast, as well in conversation with my peers, if we put our differences aside and acknowledge the corruption, we could actually do something about it. But instead, we are too focused on issues that divide people on a daily basis. That's even more incentive for the news media to report divisive issues to keep us metaphorically in the palm of their hand. As always, I encourage you to do your own research into all these things I am stating and reporting on. I am very appreciative of anybody who listens to the podcast, as well as anybody who reaches out with suggestions or puts a five-star rating on my podcast. If you would, and you're enjoying the podcast, please put a five-star rating and a brief paragraph or so about how you're feeling about the podcast and some of the topics we're covering. This will help boost the algorithm and get this podcast in the hands of hundreds more people, which is the goal of the Between the Lies podcast to open people's eyes. Whether we want to believe it or not, there are still millions and millions of people in this country and in the world who don't know these type of things and don't look deeper into things and don't question the mainstream media narratives. As always, I'm your host. I appreciate you guys listening to me, sending me feedback, critiquing me, everything on TikTok, whether that be on the podcast or friends of mine personally who reach out to me on my number. I appreciate all the love, all the help, all the support. As always, I am your fearless host of the Between the Lies podcast. Until next time. Over and out.